Chapter Twenty Two of Lonesome Land by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two, A Friend in Need. And so Val finished rather apathetically, pushing back the fallen lock of hair. It has come to that. I can't remain here and keep any shred of self-respect. All my life I've been taught to believe divorce a terrible thing, a crime almost. Now I think it is sometimes a crime not to be divorced. For months I have been coming slowly to a decision, so this is really not as sudden as it may seem to you. It is humiliating to be compelled to borrow money, but I would much rather ask you than any of my own people. My pride is going to suffer enough when I meet them, as it is. I can't let them know just how miserable and sordid a failure... Arline gave an inarticulate snort, bent her scrawny body nearly double, and reached frankly into her stocking. She fumbled there a moment and straightened triumphantly, grasping a flat buckskin bag. "'I'd feel like shaking you if you went to anybody else but me,' she declared, untying the bag. "'I know what men is.' Lord knows I seen enough of em and their meanness, and if I can help a woman out of the clutches of one, I'm tickled to death to get the chance. I ain't saying they're all of em bad. I can afford to give the devil his due and still say that men is the limit. The good ones is so darn scarce, it ain't one woman in fifty lucky enough to get one. All I blame you for is staying with em as long as you have. I'd have quit long ago. I was beginning to think you never would come to your senses. But you had to fight that thing out for yourself. Every woman has to. I'm glad you've woke up to the fact that Man Fleetwood didn't get a deed to you, body and soul, when he married you. You've been acting as if you thought he had. And I'm glad you've got sense enough to pull out of the game when you know the best you can expect is the worst of it. There ain't no hope for Man Fleetwood. I seen that when he went back to drinkin' again after you was burnt out. I did think that would steady him down, but he ain't the kind that braces up when trouble hits him. He's the sort that stays down rather than go to the trouble of gettin' up. He's hopeless now as a rotten egg, and has been for the last year. Here, you take the whole works, and if you need more... I can get it for you by sending in to the bank. Oh, but this is too much, Val protested when she had counted the money. You're so good, but really and truly I won't need half. Arline pushed away the proffered money impatiently. How in time are you going to tell how much you'll need? Let me tell you, Val Payson, I ain't going to call you by his name no more, the dirty cur. I've been packing that money in my stocking for six months, just so's to have it handy when you wanted it. Divorces cost more than marriage licenses, as you'll find out when you get started. And— You! Why, the idea! Val pursed her lips with something like her old spirit. How could you know I'd need to borrow money? I didn't know it myself, even. I— "'Well, I can see through a wall when there's a knot-hole in it,' paraphrased Arline calmly. "'You may not know it, but you've been getting your back-east notions knocked out of you pretty fast the last year or so. 
it was all a question of what kind of stuff you was made of underneath you can put a polish on most anything so i couldn't tell right at first what there was to you but you're all right i've seen that a long time back and so i know durn well you'd be wantin money to pull loose with it takes money though i know it ain't polite to say much about real dollars and cents you'll likely use every cent of that before you're through with the deal and remember there's a lot more growin in the same bush if you need it it's only waitin to be picked val stared found her eyes blurring so that she could not see and with a sudden impulsive movement leaned over and put her arms around arline unkempt scrawny and wholly unlovely though she was arline you're an angel of goodness she cried brokenly you're the best friend i ever had in my life i've had many who petted me and flattered me but you you do things i'm ashamed because i haven't loved you every minute since i first saw you i judged you i mean oh you're pure shining gold inside instead of oh get out arline was compelled to gulp twice before she could say even that much i don't shine nowhere inside or out i know that well enough i never had no chance to shine it's always been wore off with hard knocks but i like shiny folks all right when they're fine clear through and arline dear i do love you i always shall i arline loosened her clasp and jumped up precipitately get out she repeated bashfully if you get me to cryin val payson i'll wish you was in halifax you go to bed and go to sleep or i'll she almost ran from the room outside she stopped in a darkened corner of the hallway and stood for some minutes with her checked gingham apron pressed tightly over her face and several times she sniffed audibly when she finally returned to the kitchen her nose was pink her eyelids were pink and she was extremely petulant when she caught minnie eyeing her curiously val had refused to eat any supper and beyond telling arline that she had decided to leave manley and return to her mother in fern hill she had not explained anything very clearly her colorless face for instance nor her tightly swathed throat nor the very noticeable bruise upon her temple arline had not asked a single question now however she spent some time fixing a tray with the daintiest food she knew and could procure and took it upstairs with a certain diffidence in her manner and a rare tenderness in her faded worldly wide eyes you got to eat you know she reminded val gently you're bucking up against the hardest part of the trail and grub's a necessity take it like you would medicine unless your throat's too sore i see you got it all tied up val raised her hands in a swift alarm and clasped her throat as if she feared arline would remove the bandages oh it's not sore that is it is sore i mean not very much she stammered betrayingly arline set down the tray upon the dresser and faced val grimly i never asked you any questions did i she demanded 
but you act for all the world as if do you want me to give a guess about that tied-up neck and that black and blue lump on your forehead i never asked any questions i didn't need to man fleetwood's been maulin' you abound i was kind of afraid he'd get to that point some day when he got mad enough he's just the brand to beat up a woman but if it took a beatin' to bring you to the quittin' point i'm glad he done it only she added darkly he better keep out of my reach i'm just in the humor to claw him up some if i should get close enough and if i happen to forget i'm a lady i'd sure ball him out and the bigger crowd heard me the better now you eat this and don't get the idea you can cover up any meanness of man fleetwood's not from me anyhow i know men better than you do you couldn't tell me nothing about him that would surprise me the least bit i'm only thankful he didn't murder you in cold blood are you going to eat not if you keep on reminding me of such horrid things wailed val and sobbed into her pillow it's bad enough to to have him choke me without having you talk about it all the time now honey don't you waste no tears on a brute like him he ain't worth it arline was on her bony knees beside the bed crying with sympathy and self-reproach so in truly feminine fashion the two wept their way back to the solid ground of everyday living before they reached that desirable state of composure however val told her everything within certain limits set not by caution but rather by her woman's instinct she did not for instance say much about kent though she regretted openly that polycarp knew so much about it hope never needed no newspaper so long as polycarp lives here arline grumbled when val was sitting up again and trying to eat arline's toast and jelly made of buffalo berries and sipping the tea which had gone cold but if i can round him up in time i'll try and get him to keep his mouth shut i'll scare the liver out of him some way but if he caught on to that calf deal she shook her head doubtfully the worst of it is fred's in town and he's always pumpin polycarp dry just to find out all that's goin on you go to bed and i'll see if i can find out whether they're together if they are but you needn't to worry none i reckon i'm a match for the both of em why i'd dope their coffee and send em both to sleep till man got out of the country if i had to she stood with her hands upon her angular hips and glared at val i sure would do that very thing for you she reiterated solemnly i don't pretend i'd do it for man but i would for you but it's likely kent has fixed things up so they can't get nothin on man if they try he would if he said he would that there's one feller that's on the square you go to bed now whilst i go on a still hunt of my own i'll come and tell you if there's anything to tell it was easy enough to make the promise but keeping it was so difficult that she yielded to the temptation of going to bed and letting val sleep in peace which she could not have done if she had known that polycarp jenks and fred de garmo left town on horseback within an hour 
after Polycarp had entered it, and that they had told no man their errand. Over behind Brinberg's store, Polycarp had told Fred all he knew, all he suspected, and all he believed would come to pass. Strictly on the quiet, of course, he reminded Fred of that over and over, because he had promised Mrs. Fleetwood that he would not mention it. But by granny, he apologized, I didn't like the idea of keeping a thing like that from you. It would kind of look as if I was standing in on the deal, which I ain't. Nobody can't accuse me of rustling, no matter what else I might do. You know that, Fred. Sure, I know you're honest anyway, Fred responded quite sincerely. Well, I considered it my duty to tell you. I've kind of had my suspicions all fall that there was something scaly going on at Cold Spring. Looked to me like man had too blamed many calves missing by spring roundup for the size of his herd. I don't know, of course, just where he gets em. You'll have to find that out. But he's brung twelve or fourteen to the ranch, two or three at a time. And what she said when she first come to told me right out by Granny that man choked her because she called him a thief and something about a cow coming and claiming in her calf and her turning it out. That ought to be might nigh all the evidence you need, Fred, if you find it. She don't know she said it, but she wouldn't have told it by Granny if it wasn't so, now would she? And you say all this happened today? Fred pondered for a minute. That's queer, because I almost caught a fellow last night doing some funny work on a calf. A wishbone cow it was, and her calf fresh burned. A barred-out brand, by thunder. If it was today, I'd say man found it and blotched the brand. I wish now I'd hazed them over to the double diamond and corralled em like I had a mind to. But we can find em easy enough. But that was last night, and you say this big setting came off today? You sure, Polly? Course I'm sure. Polycarp waggled his head solemnly. He was enjoying himself to the limit. He was the man on the inside, giving out information of the greatest importance, and an officer of the law was hanging anxiously upon his words. He spoke slowly, giving weight to every word. I rode up to the house, man's house, somewhere close to noon, and there she was, laying on the kitchen floor. Didn't know nothing, and had the marks of somebody's fingers on her throat. The rest of her neck so white, they showed up by Granny, like, like... Polycarp never could think of a simile. He always expectorated in such an emergency, and left his sentence unfinished. He did so now, and Fred cut in unfeelingly. "'Never mind that. You've gone over it half a dozen times. You say it was today, at noon or thereabouts. Man must have done it when he found out she'd turned the calf loose. He wouldn't unless he was pretty mad and scared. He isn't cold-blooded enough to wait till he'd barred out the brand and then go home and choke his wife. He didn't know about the calf till today. That's a cinch. He studied the matter with an air of grave importance. Polycarp, 
he said abruptly. I'm going to need you. We've got to find that bunch of cattle. It ought to be easy enough, and haze them down into man's field where his bunch of calves are, see? Any calf that's been weaned in the last three weeks will be pretty likely to claim its mother, and if he's got any calves branded that claim cows with some other brand, well... He threw out his hands in a comprehensive gesture. "'That's the quickest way I know to get him," he said. "'I want a witness along and some help. And you,' he eyed Polycarp keenly, "'ain't safe running around town loose. All your brains seem to leak out your mouth. So you come along with me.' "'Well, any time after tomorrow,' hedged Polycarp, offended by the implication that he talked too much. I've got to drive the team home from Miss Fleetwood tomorrow. I told her I would. Well, you won't. You're going to hit the trail with me just as soon as I can find a horse for you to ride. We'll sleep at the Double Diamond and start from there in the morning. And if I catch you letting a word out of you about this deal, I'll just have to arrest you for... He did not quite know what but the very vagueness of the threat had its effect upon Polycarp. He went without further argument, though first he went to the Holly Hotel, with Fred close behind him as a precaution against imprudent gossip, and left word in the office that he would not be able to drive Mrs. Fleetwood home the next morning, but would be back to take her out the day after that, if she did not mind staying in town. It was that message which Arline deliberately held back from Val until morning. "'You better stay here,' she advised then. "'Polycarp and Fred's up to some devilment. That's a cinch. But whatever it is, you're better off right here with me. Supposing you should drive out there and run into man, what then?' Val shivered. "'I—that's the only thing I can't bear.' she admitted, as if the time for proud dignity and reserve had gone by. "'If I could be sure I wouldn't need to meet him, I'd rather go alone. Really and truly I would. You know the horses are perfectly safe. I've driven them to town fifty times if I have once. I had to, out there alone so much of the time. I'd rather not have Polycarp spying around. I've got to pack up. There are so many things of no value to, to him, things I brought out here with me. And there are all my manuscripts. I can't leave them lying around, even if they aren't worth anything, especially since they aren't worth anything. She pushed back her chair with a weary movement. If I could only be sure, if I knew where he is, she sighed. I'll lend you my gun. Arline offered in good faith. If he comes around you and starts any funny business again, you can stand him off, even if you got some delicate feelings about blowing his brains out. Oh, I couldn't. I'm deadly afraid of guns, Val shuddered. Well, then you can't go alone. I'd go with you if you could get packed up so as to come back today. I guess men could make out to get two meals alone. Oh, no, really and truly, Arline. I'd just as soon go alone. I would rather, dear. 
Arline was not accustomed to being called dear. She surrendered with some confusion and a blush. "'Well, you better wait,' she admonished, temporizingly. "'Something may turn up.' Presently something did turn up. She rushed breathlessly into Val's room and caught her by the arm. "'Now's your chance, Val,' she hissed in a loud whisper. "'Man just now rode into town. He's over in Pop's place. I seen him go in. He's good for the day, sure. I'll have Hank hitch right up, and you can go down to the stable and start from there, so's he won't see you. And I'll keep an eye out. And if he leaves town, I won't be far behind, let me tell you. He won't, though. There ain't one chance in a hundred he'll leave that saloon till he's full. And if he tries to go then, I'll have somebody lock him up in the ice house till you get back. You want to hurry up that packin' and get in here quick as you can. She went to the stable with Val, her apron thrown over her head for want of a hat. When Val was setting herself in the seat, Arline caught at the wheel. Say, how in time you going to get your trunks loaded into the wagon? she cried. You can't do it alone. Val parsed her lips. She had not thought of that. But Polycarp will come by the time I am ready, she decided. You couldn't keep him away, Arline. He would be afraid he might miss something, because I suppose ours is the only ranch in the country where the wheels aren't turning smoothly. Polycarp and I can manage. Hank, grinning under his ragged brown mustache, handed her the lines. "'I've got my orders,' he told her briefly. "'I'll watch out the trail's kept clear.' "'Oh, thank you. I've so many good friends,' Val answered, giving him a smile to stir his sluggish blood. "'Good-bye, Arline. Don't worry about me. There's a dear. I shall not be back before tomorrow night, probably.' Both Arline and Hank stood where they were and watched her out of sight before they turned back to the sordid tasks which made up their lives. "'She'll make it. She's the proper stuff,' Hank remarked, and lighted his pipe. Arline, for a wonder, sighed and said nothing. End of chapter 22